Welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network. I am your co-host, Brian Peacock, alongside me as always, well, except for yesterday, is <laughs> Matt Williamson. We've got a big show for you today, some news on maybe the first domino to fall for this free agent quarterback class that could be some historic movement, what we're seeing right now in the NFL with quarterbacks. Don't think they're all going to move, but maybe we'll place some of these guys in and where we think they are going to land. The Browns have finally found their GM, and he is the youngest in the NFL, and of course, the wild, wacky Super Bowl media day, opening day event that was Monday. We've got some good uh, clips from that, and um, I think some things to talk about and, and tie everything in this week as we look toward a Super Bowl 54. Of course, later in the week, we'll get a Twitter Thursday going. We will preview and make our picks for Super Bowl 54 as well, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps. You can find me on Twitter at BD Peacock. You can find Matt at Williamson NFL. Let's go first to, I think it's pretty important news here during Super Bowl week, the the breaking news of, and we, t- we had teased it and talked about it last week, that Philip Rivers moving to the East Coast, moving to Florida, and now Jay Glazer reporting that the Los Angeles Chargers are expected to move on from Philip Rivers, and that is a huge domino to fall in what could be a really crazy offseason of movement for some very well-known quarterbacks in the NFL and really change how this league looks as a whole. Yeah, and it is big news, and to me it ties in a little bit with what I was talking about yesterday, and if you guys didn't listen, I did a solo one talking Senior Bowl impressions, and I really think, and I'm going to harp on this over and over, that we already know, basically know Burrow's going to go one. I, I said a, a month or so ago, I don't think Tua is going to slip to five to Miami. He may end up a Dolphin, but I bet they're going to have to move up or somebody's going to jump at three or four or whatever for Tua. And what I was saying yesterday is I really think, I'm, I, I'm sure that Herbert is going to go very high. And I think love will go quite high too. Like I think all these guys could go conceivably in the top 12, which brings me to the chargers in that it, it looks like rivers is not going to be a charger. I mean, that's the news here and, and we can figure out where he might go. But the, to me, the pressing question is what does LA do at the quarterback position? They're currently sitting at six which means you're going to get one of those four. I mean, I doubt four of the first five picks will be quarterbacks. Mm. I think you'll get one of those four. If I were them, I would take the approach of free agency money is going to go towards offensive line and maybe a Mariota. You know, they already have Tyrod Taylor. Maybe you're just happy and keep Tyrod Taylor as your stopgap guy. Fine. I don't have any problem with that. Uh, Mariota would be sort of enticing, but I have a feeling some people are going to be knocking on his door. So maybe you just really rebuild the offensive line. At six, you take one of those four quarterbacks. Well, one of those three, Burrow definitely won't be there. And that's not so bad. I mean, you've got skill guys galore. You've got a lot of big names and talented high draft picks on defense. If you can give them a line, that's not a bad landing spot for a rookie quarterback. It's interesting because if you are where the Chargers are at six, you have to find out, okay, are we cool with the third and maybe even the fourth quarterback, but most likely the third quarterback, are we cool with that? 
Or is there a big gap between one and everybody else, or maybe the top two and everybody else? Of course, the two of medical is going to be so important in this draft process, too, because that could shake things up if it looks like that is a lot worse than people expect. And then maybe there's one less quarterback that teams look at as a true first round guy because there's so much uncertainty with Tua. And then some teams might say, hey, he was our number one guy anyway. And if we like the medical, we like him even better than Joe Burrow. And and we're going to do whatever we have to do to trade up, which means you have to get up in front of at least the Dolphins and probably pick number three. It looks like it's going to be that hinge point in this draft. that could be a lot of fun. But if you're the Chargers at six and if you're the Panthers behind them, you have to be really cool with all of them if you don't want to move up. And so that's where it's going to get very interesting. And by all reports and by what, I've seen from the Senior Bowl, and I know it's a lot of what you talked about on yesterday's show, love, the raw tools are awesome, and then Herbert was the top guy. So that might have been enough for a lot of teams to say, well, man, we really like everything that both of these quarterbacks have, and maybe this is our new franchise guy. Yeah, and I'm sitting here looking at the draft order, and I'm going to make a very bold prediction here in that Here's my prediction today, and someone mark this down and tell me how wrong I am because I'll probably be wrong. That these are this uh, this is my guess right now, my prediction of how the first four picks go: one Burrow Bengals, two Chase Young Redskins. Then the phones are ringing, and Miami's got more firepower than anyone. They go from five to three, grab Tua. Okay, now the Giants are sitting there going. Well, we there's a lot of tackles here we like. We wouldn't mind moving down. And the Chargers go, we're going to go from six to four and throw a little something in there, take Herbert, get our guy, be fine. And then at five, the Lions are happy. They say, we got a Cuda. I mean, that's who we probably would have taken at three. And then at six, the Giants go, we'll take whatever tackle we want still. You know, like everyone, that, that almost works out too well that everybody gets their guy. I like that. Burrow Young, two to Miami, Herbert to the Chargers, and wait. Kuda to the Lions. Kuda, okay, yeah. to the Giants. Kuda, that that makes a lot of sense. And I ha- I did a mock draft actually. I have just a mock top five, really quick. And I can't even remember what day this was. This is about a month ago that I mm. did this. This is when uh, I think it was. Uh, it was sometime late in December. I can't remember what happened. I think maybe it was after the Joe Burrow. Uh, Heisman or national championship or something like that. Yeah, but I had I had very similar situations. So Burrow one to Cincinnati, Chase Young to Washington at two, Miami Tua at three, trading up with Detroit. Uh, I had New York Giants staying there, but this was pre Senior Bowl week, and I think that Senior Bowl week really helped Love, really helped Herbert. So maybe there's an extra trade in there because and and look, uh, hanging out at number seven is also the Carolina Panthers. What do they do with right. Cam Newton? That's another domino that could fall. Are they looking for a quarterback? Here's another interesting. Maybe that's where love ends up. You know, right? Yeah, and and then here's the thing. So, is love like if you project out what love could be? Is that even as good as what Cam Newton has been and could be for you? Is that worth making that big of a change? And like, put it this way: so you're you're the Panthers. Would you rather have Cam Newton and hold on to your first round pick? and do something with that draft selection or, or whoever right yeah. or move on from Cam Newton and then draft who who a, a guy who's really talented but could be a bit of a project 
in love at quarterback. Yeah. Keep Cam and Jordan. Yeah. And, and see if he can. Yeah. And, and I wonder that how that would go with Cam Newton with somebody who's obviously going to take his job. That would be an interesting scenario. And that that was one of the things I wanted to bring up with Philip Rivers is if you are a team that's going to draft a first round quarterback, wouldn't you want that veteran guy around for one year with that young yeah. player? Yeah. But he's going to be expensive, and you didn't win with him, and I'd rather use that money on a starting guard and tackle. And I guess Tyrod Taylor and could still, maybe, you know, Maybe he's Phil's a not up for that gig either. That's true. I he's mean, a competitive guy. Moved. I mean, maybe he doesn't want to sit there and mentor Herbert. You know, I mean, maybe that's not a good environment. I don't know. Uh, just last little note, like on those, those movements I was talking about, the first the part of the draft, if you're the Giants – it really wouldn't matter to me if I'm at four or six. I mean, you're going to get one of those stud tackles or you're going to get the Isaiah Simmons, you know? So fine. If I can pick up an extra pick, a, a second or a third or whatever, I'll gladly move from four to six. It's a no brainer. I think if you're at three and four and, and here's the other thing, what about the lions just saying, you know what, actually we're going to draft the quarterback here. So go trade with somebody else. That's yeah. an interesting one too. If maybe they, they decide they want to go that route. I don't think it is, but if you are, the 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 Lions or the Giants at three and four, there's no way you're not taking every single phone call because it makes too much sense, especially if you only have to move back as far as five, six, seven, five, six. because right, you're, you're going to have a, a stud player there for you. You're going to get the extra picks. The question is that moving up teams, will they pay the price? Because, you know, if you are the Lions and someone comes calling, you know, you have some leverage there because they have to get in front of five. And so you can ask for the world and see what you can get. And that's why it makes so much sense for Miami because they don't have to go as far, so they don't have to give up as much, and they have all that ammunition. If you want your quarterback right. and you're Miami, it just seems like it's too easy, and they've laid it out for themselves. Even though they didn't get that number one pick, as a lot of people expected, they should be able to get their their pick of at least their second quarterback, and who knows, maybe two is still their number one quarterback on their board. Right, and they have so much ammo Right. It would be a crime if there was a quarterback they loved, not named Burrow, that they didn't land because they have the firepower. Moving from five to three isn't hard. The Lions would gladly take whatever, not whatever, but the going rate to move back to mm-hmm. spots, still get their guy. One other note that since you were brought this up, which could affect things, obviously, and it's hard for us to comment on, but Stafford and Newton. I loved how Stafford played. I mean, so I think that offense could be really good, but those two kind of come down to your team doctors though. I mean, Stafford has a back problem, a Mm -hmm. broken bone in his back. I mean, that sounds bad. Both those guys are of similar ages. Both have taken a lot of pounding in this league. Carolina is more in rebuild mode where the lions are more in save your job mode. So I would think Carolina is certainly way more likely to move on, but neither one of them is a a terrible salary, especially Newton. I don't think the Lions would be in the quarterback market, maybe second or third round, but if their team doctor says, hey, Matthew's back isn't great, you know, then maybe say two and forget about it. Redshirt two for the year. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. We uh, we got to move on here. Uh, I actually do have another question for you at the quarterback position. We'll do that next. Talk about the Browns' new GM, get into media week at Super Bowl 54. Guys, remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up, BlueChew.com. That's like blue, the color blue, and chew because you can chew it. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis so you know they work. 
You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. That makes a lot more sense to me. For instance, most guys talk a good game, but if you're one and done, Blue Chew can even help your follow-through for round two. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made right in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our promo code Locked on. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code locked on to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring this podcast. Okay, Matt, on the note of all this quarterback potential movement, and we've got a lot of young guys coming in in the draft. As you were talking there, I thought of a scenario and maybe the way that the Lions maximize their value at pick number three the most is there's potential for a couple of moves there. So let's say you do swing a trade with the Lions at three. So now the Lions are picking at five. Now a team wants to gum up and get in front of the Chargers at six to get a quarterback, maybe two trades with Detroit. And even if they're down as far as seven, that means that you still are looking at three quarterbacks, Chase Young. That means... Okuda's still there, or Simmons is still there, or I think Derek Brown is going to be in the conversation with those guys and, and be in that second group of of just stud defensive players. So Derek Brown, Simmons, Okuda, if you're the Lions, you could potentially trade back once, even twice, get a crazy haul, and still get one of those players. I mean, that is a slam dunk draft if you're a Detroit Lions fan. Yeah, that's a good call. That absolutely could happen, that the Chargers you know, don't get aggressive, don't go to four, Herbert's sitting there at five and you only have to move down to seven or whatever. You still get a blue chip star non quarterback and you could probably this best defensive player available. And I'm sitting there looking at the draft order too. maybe a team like the Bucks at 14, even if they do sign rivers or the Colts at 13, or how about the Raiders at 12, another team that has a lot of draft capital? Maybe they all jump up to five-ish ahead of the Chargers to get Herbert. Here's so the there'll th- be people calling. Oh, absolutely, there'll be people calling. Will they pay the price? What will these GMs be asking? They'll be asking the world. I have a feeling someone like Gettleman is like going to have that old-school trade chart and be like, no, nah, it costs this many points. you got to give us <laughs> right. future firsts and, uh, and all this stuff, and I wonder... In the at the end of the day, there's been some drafts where I thought there might be a little bit more movement, and there wasn't. Maybe because there's more quarterbacks and teams were okay with the other guys that were on the board, like a couple of years ago with the with the whole Darnold draft class and Baker Mayfield. And there was some trades, but I thought there might have been even more. And the asking price sometimes is just too high, and teams aren't willing to do it. Here's the other crazy thing: so the Bengals were one of the coaches at the Senior Bowl this year. What if they fell in love at the Senior Bowl with the guy who was the best quarterback there and Justin Herbert? What if they're okay with moving down from one, ending up with Herbert, and another team jumping up and drafting Joe Burrow? I mean, it's an ins- I, I, it's very unlikely, but I guess it's a possibility. Teams, I mean, the the Chargers fell in love with, um, with Philip Rivers at the Senior Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's it's not out of the question. It's not out of the question, but I think the only way it works is. You get the Godfather ransom pick for number one, you know, and give me a bazillion picks and I will give you Burrow. 
And then you got to finagle to three or four or six to get Herbert. So the first part wouldn't be that hard. The second part to ensure that you get your guy would be. And if that's the approach you're going to take, you're obviously playing with fire. You better keep Andy Dalton around in case it doesn't work out. Yeah, and there's the hometown angle because if you screw that up and Burrow becomes great and oh. you pass on him, I mean, wow. You'll never sell another ticket or jersey in your life. Uh, that would be an <laughs> all-timer. But uh, So interesting, not out of the realm of possibility, I think. And what's funny is when this prospect, I mean, when this um, when this process moves along and these prospects come in and you start to see guys in shorts at the Combine, and if you are the Bengals or you're any team, let's say, and you're you're – interviewing all these guys you're at the combine and I know you've sat in on some of these interviews and and guys walk in and out of the room and you have these conversations if the interviews are good but Joe Burrow walks in you see him throw at the combine and his arm is fine but it's not great and then 6'6 230 pounds and a bigger arm and Justin Herbert walks in shakes your hand his hands are bigger he's more impressive physically he throws the ball better at the combine I think those things are going to start already to know him better right so a little bit more validity I think to some of those ideas that we're seeing right it's almost like I, I can't believe that it's so early in the process and it's such a slam dunk obvious one two with the two top picks in the draft it, it just doesn't work out that way and so I I almost want to pull back and say God, is it really going to be so obvious that in December, we already knew exactly how it was going to go one, two in the draft. I have a hard time believing that. Yeah. And that was really my point yesterday. And I think I said something along the lines of in January, none of us thought Carson Wentz was going to be a top two pick. You know, I mean, Uh quarterbacks, history shows that these quarterbacks, especially because love's not going to put any out any more bad tape out. You know, I mean, he's only going to do good things at the combine. He's going to run pretty well. He'll be agile. He'll throw the ball well. Herbert should light up the combine and then their pro days are even better. You know, I mean, they're scripted and their interviews should be good. And people will talk about love and say, well, he lost nine starters and, you know, rightfully so, you know, and to Burrow, I mean, to your point about Burrow, he doesn't get to play Oklahoma or Ohio state or Bama again and just demolish them. You know I mean? His best, his best assets are in the barn already, you know, and it can be a, last impression what have you done for me lately process where this time of year herbert's gonna shine love's gonna shine Tua, you're not gonna see anything from you know so i don't think the apple cart gets uploaded i still think it goes burrow to a herbert love but those last two guys momentum is just starting is what my point is that's a that is a great point the the best that joe burrow has in his resume is over, you yes. know, unless he's a, he's and it's a one, awesome. unless he's somebody that blows people away in interviews. And, and I don't know. Anybody, anybody. Yeah. And I don't know how that part will go. And I know Justin Herbert's going to be pretty, I don't think he's a vocal leader on the field necessarily, but from what I've heard, I think he's going to be one of those guys who's pretty good and, and quietly works hard and he's going to be good in those interviews. So we'll see. There's a lot to go here in this process. And these prospects have the ability to move up or down the draft boards. And of course, with Tua, it's all about that medical that I believe is coming up in February at some point, but we will definitely be covering that here on the show. For sure. All right, let's move on to the Browns new GM and talk a little bit about some things that we heard this week during Super Bowl media madness. Okay, Matt, what do we know about Andrew Barry, the Browns' new 
GM, who is now the youngest GM in the league at just 32 years old? Not a lot. I mean, I know that he's very young and joins a very young first-time head coach with a lot of egos in the building. And on paper, without knowing those two men, I don't like that formula, dealing with Baker and Odell and Landry and Garrett and the things Kitchens had problems with last year with a less experienced GM to help guide you through the rocky waters that are ahead. Um, I do know that all these decisions are driven entirely basically by analytics. And it's an interesting test case, I guess, that thus far has not worked, but maybe a little bit of patience would have helped in a couple instances. I don't know. I mean, I got to say from a Steeler fan perspective, I'm not looking at the Browns and going, wow, they're ready to take over the North. It's an interesting hire. So Barry was with the Browns, left. He was with the Eagles for one year, came back now to be GM or executive VP. I don't know what his title exactly Mm -hmm. is here, uh, but he's going to lead the football side of things. And one of the keys that I saw here, it's a five-year contract for Barry with the Browns. Youngest GM in the NFL, 32 years old. But the key that I saw here in this report is that he has 53-man roster control. So it's not the analytics guys upstairs that have roster control, although they will be overseeing a lot of this, and they probably hired a young GM for a reason because that GM might be a little bit more receptive to some of the analytics side of things. And I think we saw that with Stefanski as head coach. And Stefanski's not the top I think everything's going to be driven by analytics. You mentioned the Eagles. They're one of the most analytic teams Mm -hmm. in the league, too. I mean... I'm not saying analytics is a bad word. It's just oh no that they're all in on right. analytics for driving the ship. And I think more that's so than tape. If you, and, you want know. to really, if you want to really have a basis of analytics in your front office, you have to have everybody on board. You can't have an old curmudgeon that doesn't want to utilize all of that information. So sure. I think that's one of the keys. But it says that Barry does have 53 man roster control. So that's interesting that. He's the guy that's going to make the final call on the roster, and it's not going to be the head coach in Stefanski. So the top of the pyramid is really important in an organization, and so you have to have that one voice in the room that everybody knows this is the guy that's making the decisions, and for a young group of people, it's the youngest guy, the 32-year-old Andrew Barry at GM, who's got that 53-man roster control. Yeah, and that is important. I assume that means on draft day he has the final say of what player they take and in free agency he has final say yay or nay if we sign this person. So it's it's just a lot. I mean, it's just a lot for both the, the, the two most important people in an organization that has shown us time and time again they do not have patience and if if they stumble out of the gates and you know the young deer that doesn't walk right right until they hit their stride. Are they ever going to get this, the chance to grow up and you know and and thrive? I, I don't know. I want to move on to Super Bowl week and some of the things we heard this week. One of them was, and a lot of people have talked about it. We haven't really touched on it on the show, but the the death of Kobe Bryant, the tragic helicopter crash, uh, his young daughter dying in that. There's seven other people I saw. There was uh, another mother father daughter combination that died in that helicopter crash and. Obviously, Kobe Bryant's the famous Hall of Fame basketball player, so that's where the headlines are. And and he was impactful for so many players, and Richard Sherman is one of those guys that talked about how impactful Kobe Bryant was for him. And Kobe came back from an Achilles 
injury and, and played at a super high level in his career. And Richard Sherman has done the same. A lot of people wrote him off, including the Seattle Seahawks. He's come back. He's played as good as ever following that Achilles injury. And he said that one of the people that were really important because of that was Kobe Bryant. And that, and definitely when you talk about Mamba mentality, Richard Sherman has that in spades. And he said he got up and he he walked off the field partly because of that Mamba mentality that he wanted to have, even though he had such a severe injury. It wasn't like, put me on the cart, let's get out of here. He wanted to walk off the field just like Kobe did. So I thought that was an interesting comment. And this week, and I know personally in your life, it's, it's, it's one of those weeks where you realize, man, hug your loved ones, tell everyone how you feel about them, and uh, in life, life moves fast. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you're a little closer to that Sherman situation, but a great example. You're seeing a ton of athletes in all walks of life, you know, honoring Kobe to some way, shape or form, which is really cool. I didn't bring it up yesterday on purpose because I'm I just dealt with the death. Obviously, I mentioned yesterday, too, in the family and I I'm not dialed into the NBA. I realize how big he is. But I do think it's going to be somewhat of a gray cloud over Super Bowl week. You know, a lot of these guys knew him. Maybe they shared the same agent. Certainly we were fans of him. Um, all the millions of Kobe fans. And my heart goes out to the family, of course. But I heard a good example. And I wish I could quote him because I forget which podcast I was listening to. It would be like, and I'm stealing this example from whoever I heard it from. It would almost be like if Peyton Manning went down. You know, if you equated it to an NFL player an all-time great that recently retired, all of us remember him playing, superb, great work ethic, things like that. Like, if you're not in the NBA, and you might know the NBA better than me, I'm sure you do, it would be almost like the equivalent of losing someone like Peyton Manning. Yeah, it was funny. I saw a Twitter exchange that was similar to that. It was was a young lady that was talking about She's basically like, why Why does everyone care so much about Kobe, this basketball player? I understand he's great, but so many people were impacted by this. Why do Why does so many people care? And the response was, well, imagine if it was, say, you don't care about the, uh, the NBA, but obviously by your bio, you love music. What if it was Beyonce or Rihanna is the one that died? How would that impact you? How would you feel about it? And she's like... Oh, is that what it's like? Oh, that's a great point. Oh, then rip Kobe. Right. You know, it was like, okay, I see what you mean. Like when you when you follow this stuff closely, there's a lot of crossover too with the NFL and the NBA. You always see NFL players courtside at NBA games. A lot of these guys are really tight. Some of them even work work out together and and have some close relationships. And I know Kobe's been very mentor like. I think he he almost came off as a bit of a loner, and he had that mentality and and that fierce competitiveness when he was in the NBA. I think his image was a lot softer once he got out of the league. And he was much more of a mentor to a lot of people that we're finding out about now. Yeah, and he, he seemed like one of those rare, you know, you look at it through scouting lenses, like obviously he was unbelievably talented. And and my son was like, why wasn't Kobe the first pick in the draft? And I'm talking out my butt because I don't know anything about the NBA. But from what I remember, he was like the first one that came straight from high school. Like that was the question, not like, is this kid talented? It's like we've never really seen someone come straight from high school, a Philly kid. You know, LeBron hadn't done it yet. And he was the the combination of unbelievable work ethic and unbelievable talent that you just rarely see. Yeah, he was an 18-year-old kid coming out of high school. Uh, he had, he had, I know he was overseas at one point because his father was a professional ball player. 
uh, overseas. Yeah. And I think, yeah, they just didn't realize, man, can we really draft an 18-year-old straight out of high school and he can impact the NBA? And I think teams were looking for more finished products in those days because guys weren't jumping out as early into the uh, the NBA draft. But, man, slam dunk, he fell all the way. I think it was pick eight or so to the Lakers. And uh, they got a great one. They got an all-timer. It's just such a such a sad story how that whole thing ends and with his daughter and, and everybody that was involved with that Helicopter crash, uh, pretty impactful weekend there for for a lot of people. And just, you know, it's just when someone famous dies too young like that, it just kind of zaps you out of it. And you realize, OK, yeah, life can end quickly. This this whole thing can end very quick and life is too short. So make it count. Yeah. And I think it will loom over all the festivities going on in Miami right now. And, you know, it, it's going to have a long impact and all the way up until kickoff. I think that it did happen early enough in the week that there's a reflection now to start the week with everybody getting together, but then teams will be able to turn the page, and by game time, I think the focus will be solely on football, even for a lot of those guys who were really impacted by it. But you're right, definitely Monday, a cloud over the beginning of the week with all the media together in Miami. Okay, Matt, we're out of time. We will get deeper into Super Bowl 54 throughout the week. I know you have some favorite prop bets, Matt. A Twitter Thursday segment as well. So hit me on Twitter at BD Peacock. Tag Matt at Williamson NFL with those questions. Get to those later on in the week. And we'll make our Super Bowl picks right here. Locked on NFL.